If you say looked ahead at the scripture passage for this morning, you may have wondered, what's so Christmassy about that? Because I've also been wondering this week, what's so Christmassy about Revelation 20, the final judgment? And if you're just hearing that we're going to talk about the final judgment right now, welcome to the conundrum. Revelation 20. Why are we here on this third week of Advent? So we've been looking in our Advent series on how we pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, which is the prayer of Advent. So we are in the already and not yet. We remember when Christ came first as a baby, Bethlehem. That's what we all have nativity scenes for in our house. That's the one thing that the culture generally kind of gets about Christmas celebrations is we love baby Jesus. And we're all remembering when baby Jesus came to us because who doesn't love a baby? And then we're here in our present. And Advent, Christmas, also invites us to look forward. To look to the promise of Jesus when he says, I am coming again. And so this Advent here at Community, we've been casting our eyes forward. What does the shape of our hope look like? And the shape of our hope has invited us into some interesting places as we prepare for Christmas this year. In the first week, we looked at the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus himself speaks this apocalyptic word of what his coming will look like. And in the second week, we, we tackled the resurrection of the body. We looked at what our actual Christian hope is in the life after death. And this week, we come to the end of Scripture, to Revelation 20. We come to judgment. What is the good word for us this morning? about judgment. Let's see if we get there. So before we read scripture, before we read Revelation 20, we're going to start at verse 11. We're just going to read 11 to 15. Let us ask this morning for the Spirit's presence with us as we read God's word. Please pray with me. Our God of hope, we come before you as Advent people, remembering your son's coming in Bethlehem and looking forward to your son's coming again in glory. And we are here in the middle of all of this, wondering what it means for how we live, for how we believe, for how we understand you and who we are with you. And so we ask that you send your spirit into our hearts, into our lives, so that we may hear what the Spirit is saying to the church here in Revelation, here to us as Advent people, waiting and hoping for the coming of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Revelation, chapter 20, starting at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him 
who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. Then I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Then books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, the lake of fire being the second death. Then anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Not yet. Happy Advent. Do, do you know what you get when you Google image search the word judge? I do because I did that this week. You, you might think that you'd get some actual judges in black robes. Maybe you get some pictures of British judges with a fancy little white wig. Maybe a picture or two of gavels, the, the banging wooden thing, the gavel. You'd be right about the gavels. Those show up a lot. But the, at the top of the image search, do, do you know there are two images? Judge Judy. <laughs> yeah. And a judge from a Food Network competition, food competition show. TV personalities. We're at the top of the results. What we imagine when we think about what a judge looks like is shaped more by TV personalities than anything else. Which makes this morning's scripture passage particularly difficult for us to imagine. Because the book of Revelation deals in visions and metaphors. It deals in the fantastic and the almost sci-fi. All to tell us deep truths about God, about our world, and about ourselves. Revelation engages our imagination to get at these truths to form and shape our faith, and therefore to form and shape how we live. And our portion of scripture this morning is no different. It engages our imagination, even if it scares us in the process. So if our images of judges are shaped more by TV personalities than anything else, How do we begin to imagine Jesus as a judge? Here in Revelation, we get a glimpse of a great white throne, record-keeping books of everyone's lives, a glimpse of one book that's full of names but not all names, and a lake of fire. There's a divine weighing of deeds 
and a judgment passed on everyone living and dead. With Jesus, the judge, at the center of all things. This sort of thing can make us queasy, can make us more than a little uncomfortable, a little unsettled. And we prefer to go basically anywhere else in scripture this morning than here. Especially as we have Christmas trees behind us and we're all warm and cozy at home. We don't want to see Jesus as a stern-looking, white-wigged, cosmic judge pointing his finger at us. Or <laughs> a giant Judge Judy wagging her finger and, and sending us to hell for not paying alimony in small claims court of heaven. Jesus and judgment don't go easily together for us. I mean, we're in the season of Emmanuel, God with us, not God judging us. Let's get back to that version. But the Advent Christmas story is that they're together. And we're told to pray for Jesus to come again. The truth is, it would be hard to go anywhere else in scripture because judgment is a pretty dominant theme. And no one in the New Testament talks about judgment more than Jesus which can kind of make us shift a little uncomfortable in our pews. And, and Jesus' teaching on, on judgment even foreshadows the imagery that we see in Revelation 20. In John's Gospel, Jesus says this, The time is coming, you see, when everyone in the tombs will hear his voice. They will come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I judge on the basis of what I hear, and my judgment is just. Can we go back to I'm the light of the world? In Matthew, Jesus tells the parable of the sheep and goats, and he includes this. That when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Check. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. That's just two instances. And Paul picks up this theme, this, this imagery, in 2 Corinthians 5, among other places. Paul writes, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And we recite on a fairly regular basis, whenever we, whenever we recite together the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. How do we pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, when we are promised 
he's going to come back as a judge. How is that good news for us? How do we pray that prayer with any kind of sincerity or hope? One of the earliest depictions of Jesus in the early church, the aspect, that, the aspect of Jesus that, that Christians wanted to stress as important was a variation of this one. This one is a more modern version. But this is, this is an icon, and I know we're not super keen on icons here, but it's Christian art, so we're gonna go with it. This is an icon of Jesus as a Pantocrator, the all-powerful, the almighty. And this is, a, this is in a, a modern church, in, um, uh, in an Eastern Orthodox modern church. So this is, a, this is a modern figure of it. But this type of portrayal of Jesus is one of the earliest icons, the earliest images that the church painted of Jesus. This one. And, and this image, this Pantocrator, the Almighty, the All-Powerful, becomes the image of Christ as judge. Christ as judge over all things. The All-Powerful judge who will judge the living and the dead, the great and the small. It's not smiling. Kind of staring through you. And, and the way that you actually encounter this image in the church where I, I have this image from, it's not projected on the screen in the front. It is in a dome over you, two, three stories high. And it is massive. So your experience of this image of Jesus is as this one who sees all over you and you are very tiny. Early Christians chose this type of image, this type of portrayal of Jesus as one of their most important. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. When it sounds a bit more like a creepy Santa, he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows if you've been bad or nice, it'll be good for goodness sake. That could be Christmassy, we could go there. Why did early Christians choose this portrayal of Jesus, this icon, this image? Why did they, why did they want to stress Jesus as judge? When for us, we get more than a little uncomfortable, we shift a bit more in our pews, and we just really, really want to go back to baby Jesus. Are we missing something? Are we missing something? There's a version of the Bible that's been getting a lot of press these past few weeks. It's not the NIV, it's not the ESV, it's not the King James. It's a version called the Slave Bible. We're just gonna keep this image up so Jesus is watching you. This version is called the Slave Bible. 
or as the original title of this version of the Bible put it, parts of the Holy Bible selected for use of the Negro slaves in the British West India Islands. The Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. is currently showing an exhibit on this version of the Bible, the Slave Bible. And it was used by British missionaries in the 1800s to evangelize enslaved men and women who worked and labored on plantations in what is now the Caribbean. How does this slave Bible differ from the one that may be in your hands or in your pew or on your phone, your iPad in front of you? Everything, everything that could possibly incite rebellion, give thoughts of freedom or liberation to the enslaved community was taken out to satisfy the plantation owners. How much of the Old Testament do you think made it into the slave Bible? 90% of the Old Testament was removed. There's no Exodus. There's no God freeing the slaves in Egypt. No. In the New Testament, how much do you think made it into the New Testament? Just under 50%. The one whole book that is not in the slave Bible, couldn't even take snippets of a book, is Revelation. Revelation was not in the slave Bible. Because what human trafficking plantation owner would want those he enslaves to read about the coming judgment of all of those great and small, enslaved and owner? What human trafficking plantation owner would want those he enslaves to be shaped by the hope of a coming judge who sees everything and all things and everyone. There is something that early Christians who knew martyrdom, who knew oppression, who knew injustice, understood about Jesus as judge that I don't think we are too quick to understand. And it's the same thing that made human trafficking plantation owners fearful of sharing with the ones they enslaved. The promise of judgment. The promise of judgment is also the promise of justice. At this time of year, we often hear a poetic snippet of the prophet Isaiah, who talks about a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. It's in our songs, it's often in our Advent readings. But if you continue to read after that poetic snippet at the beginning, you encounter a vision of the coming judge. Isaiah writes that he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And then the wolf will, will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearlings will play together. And a little kid's going to lead them. 
Isaiah points to a Messiah, a savior whose judgment creates a world where wolf and lamb lie down side by side, where peace is possible because justice has been done. So Jesus promises to come back as a judge, not because he wants to watch us squirm, like we're some contestants in a twisted cosmic reality show while he sits on his big throne in the sky. Jesus promises to come back as a judge because he wants to right the world that he loves. Because the promise of judgment, it's a promise of justice. Early Christians understood that. Human trafficking plantation owners in the 1800s got it too. And we do too. You open your newspaper, you watch the evening news, you scroll through the news on your Twitter feed, and the world we see, the world we live in, desperately needs to be righted. We catch glimpses, and often more than glimpses, of brokenness and injustice and evil everywhere. I don't know about you, but I am shattered by the photographs out of Yemen of the bodies of children who are frail and starved to death because of a war they have no part in. I am enraged by the flood of victims that come out again and again because of clergy abuse. Those who have suffered at the hands of people that were supposed to be their shepherds. I am angered by a political system that trades in, in lies and mistruth instead of serving the people they represent and using their power for the common good. And I feel hopeless, helpless, in the face of a growing inequality around this globe between the haves and the have-nots that extends even here in KW. What do we do when we witness the reality of the world we live in? The dark side of the world we inhabit. To pray Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, to the one who promises to come with judgment, is to pray for a different kind of world that can come through his justice. Where children are not collateral damage of a war. Where false shepherds of God's people are held to account for the unspeakable harm that they do to God's children. Where truth crowds out lies. 
where men and women, girls and boys aren't trafficked or enslaved. And where all have what they need, not just to survive, but to thrive. To pray Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. To the one who promises to come with judgment is to pray for justice to be done. For the world to be righted. For the evil we see and witness and sometimes makes us feel helpless to be overcome. Thanks be to God, amen, let's go home. But that vision of justice doesn't let us off the hook, does it? We still need to come back around to what Paul reminds us of, echoing the words of Jesus, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We will each stand before Jesus. The judge, the almighty, and there's no way of getting around it or getting out of it, however uncomfortable it makes us, however much we'd like not to think about it, however much we'd like to think that that's something early Christians believed. We don't believe that as 21st century North Americans, come on. What do we do with that? There's another image of Jesus the judge that I want to share with you. This is also, this is, this is an image of Jesus that is a companion with that, that image of Christ the Almighty, the All-Powerful. It's, it's a bit more common to our Catholic brothers and sisters. Both images focus on Jesus as king, as reigning, as the judge who comes to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is central in both, the focus of both. But there's a, there's a few differences. In the image of Christ Almighty, the Pantocrator, you only see torso, hand, face, book. In this one, you see all, the whole body. And it might be difficult for you to see, but do you see another difference? The other icon, did you see Jesus' hand in that icon? Was there any holes? Were there any scars? No. What do you see on this one? On his hands and his feet. You might have to have better eyesight than me, actually, to see it if you're in the back. There's scars. In this image of Jesus Almighty, Jesus as a judge, Jesus as the one eternal king, this image of Jesus reminds us that Jesus still bears his scars. His scars that he received for us, for our world, for the world he loves, for the world he will judge, for the world he will bring justice to. The world he promises to make right. Jesus still bears his scars. 
We will stand before Jesus, the judge. There's no getting around that. But our judge has scars because he took on our judgment already on himself, on his body, for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. So that whoever believes in him, though he will be judged, will not be condemned. The one who sits on the great white throne in Revelation 20, the judge of the living and the dead, the great and the small, is the same judge who bears the scars of our judgment on his body. Judgment already fulfilled. Judgment already paid for us. Because he came to save us, not to condemn us. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, to bring judgment, to bring justice. Amen. Please pray with me. Our God of hope, you give us a vision of our world, this world that you love, this world that you have made. And it is a vision where injustice is overturned, evil done away with, darkness overcome. And we hold on to that vision and that hope. We pray for your son to come again, to bring that hope, to make it real here and now, not only in the world we love, but in our own lives. And we know that your son comes as judge, but a judge who bears the scars of our judgment. So we ask that you work out in our own lives, not in the future, but today, that we can be agents of your justice, of your kingdom, that we can live in such a way that when our book is opened, that our Lord may rejoice in the life we have lived, the life we have lived for him and through him and in him. It's in the name of Jesus, the one who will come with judgment and justice the one who bears scars on his body for us, that we pray. Amen. <laughs>